Hi guys, welcome to Jules and Phoebe, the bi-weekly pop culture and social commentary podcast brought to you by yours truly, Jules and Phoebe. Hey Phoebe. Hey Jules, welcome back. I know, long time no speak. I know, it's been crazy because I feel like, and obviously we say this at the beginning of almost every intro, but time moves so differently with COVID that it's simultaneously like, I spoke to you an hour ago versus I spoke to you six years ago. Yeah. Moves so quickly and so slowly at the same time. <laughs> yeah, so quickly, so slowly. But I do think overall, like the year has gone by so fast. Totally. Oh my God, we're in September. It's crazy. I remember reading once that it was like the older you get, the quicker the years go. Because when you're a child, a year seems like the longest thing ever. And when you're an adult, you're obviously you're always planning ahead in a way that it's like, okay, well, it's September now. So blah, this is what we'll be doing at Christmas, blah, 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 like summer holiday next year. So the days just move quicker. And I've never felt it was more true than this year. (laughs) Yeah, I remember at my graduation, the chancellor was saying, oh, and yeah, time's going to go by so fast after this. And literally, as soon as you finish school, like time just goes by so quickly. And I just think, you know, you're saying we're in September, but September's nearly done. But by the time you get to the back end of a month, it's finished. Yeah, so true. Well, it's always because you're waiting to get paid as well, for me anyway. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, you know, you're waiting to get paid. And I, I think also the season is changing. Mm-hmm. So we are like getting into the fall now. But it's so crazy because we had no summer. I don't feel yeah. we had a summer in London. No. Well, then I, you know, I fluctuate autumn is very much so my favorite season because it's like cool enough that you can be wearing you know your cute little jumpers maybe a cute little coat your boots your scarf whatever but it's not so cold as in winter where you are just like bundled up and there's no shape to you whatever you are just a mass of of wool um so this for me is like the the key season yeah, no, autumn is definitely cool. I think, you know, my birthday's in September. I love September as a month to just like, you know, think and like you still get to see people and you still have a bit of the year left, but then you can kind of plan ahead. I really do think September is like, for me, it's definitely like, my favorite month. I don't know if I'm biased because of that, <laughs> but yeah, but we did have to take a break. So if you're still with us, we're so grateful, but we had to take a break over over the summer. I needed to just take some time out and just grow my baby in peace (laughs) (laughs) your baby's due this season right or next yeah my baby's due soon so you know that's um, yeah but it's very interesting because I've just done the um, NCT classes Mm -hmm. and that's like the antenatal classes where they kind of uh, teach you some stuff and you learn a lot because you just don't realize how a lot of stuff around like pregnancy and motherhood is just not in the public domain. Like it's just not pop culture. Right. There's so much that you just don't know. So it was a really good learning experience, but I found it really interesting how the group is like divided. Oh, really? Yeah. And I'd like to get your point of view on it actually. So basically like we all met up um, over the weekend and like the group was like literally in half. So you had the white English couples in like one group chatting away, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And then you had like the non-English or non-white couples chatting away. 
Oh, how interesting. And it was, yeah, it was really interesting. So basically, obviously, I was in the non-white group. Yes. But then, like, you know, me and my partner, a Dutch lady, a French and a Mexican couple, and then a Southeast Asian couple. Wow. And it was just weird how the group split. And I found that the husbands in the other group were, like, quite social, but, like, the women just kind of banded together. Really? Okay, because I, when you said that there was a divide in the group, I thought that you were going to say it was, like teenage disco style where all of the men were on one side all of the women were on the other you know like separation between the girls and boys that's so strange isn't it because like I mean I've never been pregnant I've never gone to any of these classes but I have always understood it as the whole idea is that you go to almost make friends yes you're getting the information but you're getting a new network as well yeah but obviously they didn't want to make friends with us yeah or our half of the group was like less interesting that's mad. Although I do also think sometimes it's like at the beginning of that story when you said, oh, we all met up this weekend because you met up specifically to be social, right? Or was it for yeah. one of the classes? So that yeah. for me, it becomes like a stressful thing. And I present as an extrovert. But someone said to me once, and I think it's the truest thing ever, that I am actually an introvert trapped in an extrovert's <laughs> body. Like yeah. I throw myself into social situations because I don't want it to be awkward for other people. But my social battery can get trained and yeah. so everything we all met up I was thinking oh my god the pressure of having to be friends with people just because you all happen to be pregnant at the same time like oh the only thing that we have in common is that we are going to give birth <laughs> like go into labor at some point in the next nine months there might not be anything else that we have in common obviously as an adult that is a fact of life you do just have to make friends with, or you end up making friends with people that you might otherwise have nothing in common with but <laughs> stressful <laughs> No, it's true. First of all, it was stressful. Like we, we both didn't want to go. It's a social thing at the end of the program. And so they put it into the schedule, but you organize it yourself. And maybe it is all about what people have in common, because obviously mm-hmm. we have quite a bit in common with the French-Mexican couple. Mm-hmm. You know, my husband is French. They lived in Canada for a while. My husband lived in Canada. My husband is Canadian as well. But then, you know, I'm British. Yeah. Why don't they want to talk to me connect with me yeah like I thought they were all quite cool but it was just the conversation was not flowing (laughs) it's strange as well because I mean and again I'm taking a somewhat objective view on this and why do you need to be from the same country to to get on like to connect it was just for me very strange it's also like if you were only going to go because you've obviously had I don't know how many classes have yeah, taken we had place. a few other classes. Yeah, we have the WhatsApp groups. And, you know, my husband was quite traumatised. He was like, Jules, none of them even asked me where I'm from. And oh my God. where you're from is just like standard, polite conversation. He, Do you he think... was saying that it was like the crown and like we were the subjects of the crown. <laughs> That's so funny because I was going to say to you, do you think it's like not asking that is sometimes people are so worried about appearing racist right that it makes them have literally no cognitive understanding of what is and isn't racist it's like sometimes when you see uh like when you're talking to a white person a fellow white person and say if I was saying oh do you know Jules and like I would be describing you but I would go out of my way to not just say that you're black like it'd be like Uh, she's about my height and you know, like long, longish brown hair. Uh, she's got brown eyes. It's like you think that it's racist to say the word, oh, uh, she's black. So you're going yeah. to obfuscate to kind of get around that because you've got no point of reference as to what is just a normal conversation versus mm-hmm. 
racist or, or xenophobic. So here I am, you know, your your husband is black. I know that, you know, you know that obviously, but you don't mind me saying that. But someone who is maybe only operated in in white circles or in very similar circles is like oh it might be racist to ask a black man where he's from so instead we'll just ignore it completely but I'm going to ask all of the white people in the group where they're from because I know that that can't be perceived as anything but you know benign curiosity yeah exactly and even like you know I just found it really odd and I think for me the reason why it's a big deal is because you then think oh man, is this what it's going to be like in the playground Mm. when nobody is interested in me and like nobody wants to be friends with me? And then if they don't want to be friends with me, then my kid is literally going to have no friends. God, that's such a stressful way to have to think. (laughs) So yeah, it's quite stressful. And then I'm thinking, wait a minute, I'm probably the most interesting person here. (laughs) One of, I'm top three. (laughs) Top three most interesting. Top three conversationalists. Top three in humour. Like, what is the barrier? And yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I just found that, like, really strange. And I don't know if it's because, like, I work in an industry that's quite, like, fast-paced and, mm-hmm. you know, everybody kind of, like, speaks and, like, we all find something to connect on, you know, even when we have the most divergent of backgrounds. Mm-hmm. And so it was just kind of strange for me to, like, be put into a situation socially where there was clearly a hierarchy. Right. I was, okay. I was, I was not winning. <laughs> it's so funny. I saw a tweet the other day that was like, leaving a social situation and saying to yourself, like, that wasn't my best work. Because I think that sometimes when you are, you know, as you're saying, when you're a kind of an extroverted person or whatever, top three in the room, that you can go into things and be like, okay, well, I know that I'm trying to gauge this person's sense of humor are we being like self-deprecating? Are we going to be sarcastic? And there's a a point at which like, yes, it comes easily to you to a degree, but it is also that you have had to mentally make sure that you're on because you're trying to be charming. You're trying to chat to everyone. You're trying to get on with people. And for reference, I guess, for people who are listening, who maybe don't know Jules, I remember at the company that we both worked at together, I remember Jules's boss saying that he had gone to a conference with her and they had been there like maybe 15 minutes and Jules like came back up to her manager having spoken to everybody in the room. Like she <laughs> went in and was just zoom, 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 zoom. Um, spoke to everyone, like gave out her card and, you know, like had warm enough touch points that she was going to be able to go back and speak to those people again over the course of the day. But that initial contact had been made. And sometimes people then can end up leaving it to you. Does that make sense? Once you've shown that you're good at it, once you've shown that you can do it, people then will be like, oh, yeah, well, we don't really have to make an effort. We don't have to meet anyone halfway because Jules is just so chatty. So, like, she'll do it without taking into account that sometimes that's still really exhausting. Absolutely. And I think, I think A, that could definitely play a part because at the beginning of the program, like me and my husband are very social and he's actually more social than I am. Mm-hmm. I've discovered that <laughs> then I just looked at it and because it was so a divide across the group, mm-hmm. like it wasn't like we were being excluded or we were not being engaged with. There was just like this invisible wall it was like so weird and then um one of them and then you know when you're in a situation and it's crazy because like I am I would say that I'm quite good socially 
but then you know when you don't know if people are making fun of you <laughs> right I'll give you an example I don't know I might just be being hypersensitive but then I had my baby shower mm-hmm. and then I, I had we had missed a session and we we're like really sorry you know it's our baby shower and so I'd sent like a picture from the baby shower of just the tablescape at the baby shower right mm-hmm. and like the food display in the baby shower and then one of the ladies was like oh how was your baby shower I'm like oh it went really well like I really didn't want to have one at first but I'm glad that I did and then she's like oh it looked so professional and I'm like yeah it was professional (laughs) no a caterer for my baby shower and what you know no I think that that's genuine I don't know if that's genuine I saw and then they were like talking about how like they had gotten a lot of things from like family and friends and then so I don't know if they were looking at us like look at us socially irresponsible couple (laughs) yeah but also sometimes it's different like when you are the first couple to have a baby like in your group and I know you have some friends who already have kids but like say within your your kind of your family you are the first to have kids it's not necessarily a hand-me-down thing also your husband's family don't all live in the UK so it's yeah. not like a oh well you can have our pram or you can have our cot and it's but like if they asked us questions they would know that <laughs> they would know that yeah yeah true and also but some people are so used to just having grown up with like a community around them which isn't as common in London but like yeah. if you are a Londoner born and bred like which I am also assuming that these other couples were or are it's like you no, I don't are... think they are I think oh, they're aren't like, they? okay yeah from somewhere scratch that then because (laughs) that point is now moot I don't know I think that stuff I would assume that it was genuine but then also I am queen of leaving a social situation and immediately being like oh I played that wrong I was too much of this this evening like were we being too self-deprecating were we making it awkward for other people we went to the afters of a wedding of someone that I worked with when I first moved to London and we went to the afters of her wedding a couple of weeks ago, which was so gorgeous and so much fun and ended up connecting with another friend that we had worked with. This is when we were in Victoria's Secret. I was like maybe 21 years old, but ended up connecting with another friend and her husband and had never met her husband before, but had the most fantastic night with them. You know, like when you're on the way home and you're saying, God, that was so much fun, wasn't it? But the problem with being a fundamentally anxious person is that I only ever get about a maximum of 30 minutes of being like, that was fun. That was really enjoyable. We got on well. Like, yeah, they want to meet up again. And then I'm like, they didn't have a good time with you. (laughs) They're just saying that, but they're relieved that you've gone. And then you have to like try and talk yourself out of it. And it can be so contagious that I have to really be careful with my husband to not be like, do you think do you think that they really had a good time with us? Because then I will plant the seed of doubt in his mind and he'll be like, I thought they did, but yeah, maybe you're right. Maybe I maybe I was annoying them. It's like, we're not good together in that regard. So you kind of got to internalize that worry and be like, I'll just save this for myself to ponder at 2.30 in the morning. I'm not going to burden yeah. you with it. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's super. I think also because of like the lockdown, maybe I haven't really socialize with people that I don't know and it's probably not the lockdown I think in general it's not something that I've been doing like I would go somewhere and at least be mates with someone in that group but to go somewhere and for it to be full-on like new people outside of a work context because I think there are different motivations in the work context but you realize just the older you get it is difficult to make friends 
and um, you know what you look like and what you sound like plays a big role in how interested mm-hmm. people are in you. And I just found that people that looked different or had a different accent in that group were not as well received. That was my observation. I think also it can be uncomfortable to realize that obviously you make split second decisions about people or or yeah. things just in your day to day. I thought one of the girls was super cool. I actually was like, she's someone that's like so cool. Yeah. And I thought, oh, she'd be really cool to get to know. And so I think that's if I look, if I didn't have any interest in any of them, I'd be like, yeah, yeah, whatever. But I actually thought, you know, that they were quite cool. So I just found that kind of such an the obvious invisible wall to just be of course a problem you know and then you think okay but this is my neighborhood and then you know what's going to happen you know with my kid in school Mm -hmm. can my kid go to someone else's house what are they going to be saying (laughs) but then I do think as well and again speaking purely like from a place of complete naivety but I do think as well that as a parent you are just like oh yeah my kids got friends like you've also got to remember that you're not obligated to just be friends with all of your kids friends parents and that sometimes it'll be like yeah we're we're having I don't know Timmy round for for dinner but like I know his parents to see them but we're not mates like I don't think that my mum was mates with yeah but I think when they're very young you do have to people because they're not going to invite your kid around yeah like your kid will be the one that's not invited to something if they don't like you as a parent (laughs) (laughs) oh god we've got to make small talk with Jules yeah it's actually like quite intense actually when you think about it unless you get really lucky like some people are really lucky socially with this type of thing but we'll see how it goes for me it was just kind of like an intro and I'm like oh (laughs) I've got to step up my game Because I always think as well, it's the absolute like burden of things that you now will have to, I mean, not immediately at least, but be thinking about. It's like, I am forever being like, oh my God, March, April, May, such expensive months. I've got so many birthdays during those months. Like (laughs) once your kids start school, it's going to be a birthday every two weeks. Yeah, it's going to be a birthday every two weeks and you have to think about how to to manage that. So anyway, I'm here to kind of share my experiences. (laughs) you know, as as time goes by. I do recommend that people do the NCT class. Mm -hmm. I I found our one to be really good. I just found that kind of social gathering really interesting. Another thing that happened on the weekend is I went to change my name. Did you? Yeah, after two years of marriage. Congrats, I still haven't changed mine. After two years of ducking and diving. (laughs) Well, I suppose, yeah, you don't want to have a different surname to your kid yeah. yeah exactly so I don't want a different surname on the birth certificate and then but I had went to go I went to the passport office to mm-hmm. change it mm-hmm. and then I had put my maiden name mm-hmm. as my middle name on the application Clever. to then put my husband's name as my new surname mm-hmm. and they were like oh no you can't do that you can only do double barrel oh or if you want your your maiden name to be your middle name you have to do it by deed poll I see. I didn't know that. Yes, yeah, so I'm giving all the, head- the knowledge because I had like no clue, right? So there are a couple of options. So you can, as you go to sign your marriage certificate, you can then use the name that you want, that you can sign with that, which I didn't do. I just signed with my maiden name. 
And then for me to change it with the passport office, you can only do a double barrel of wow. your maiden name and then your partner's name. And so she said, oh, so do you want to do it as double barrel? And I really couldn't be asked to double barrel. So she says, okay, we'll just cross it out then. And it was so like... No! bad for me to actually cross out my own surname like that. That's really tough. I feel like people have such a... Well, not all the time, but I feel like a lot of women have a really kind of complex relationship with deciding what is best to do. And so on my bank accounts and things like that, I'm double barrel. I actually couldn't tell you what I signed my marriage certificate as. Did you send them your marriage certificate? I did in the bank, yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. So that had, I think it had my husband's name on it and then it had mine. So I was able to say yeah, like this. Is yeah, yeah. Um, but I've not changed my passport because well, I'm a tight ass actually. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. But it's so funny that it's so specific to women to have to know how to navigate that. Now, obviously, if you're in a same sex relationship and you get married, that becomes another discussion and you may choose to like amalgamate your surnames or whatever, the same way that heterosexual couples can. But it's so funny that I end up doing a lot of the admin, like life admin stuff in my relationship. And I just have never done. I've never done the proper legwork on my surname because I'm like, oh God, it's just so time consuming and I'm not really sure what to do. And because I do so much of our other life admin, Charles is always like, oh no, but you do you do the phone calls, you do those things. And I'm like, yeah, but I don't enjoy doing any of those things. I hate, I hate doing new grown up things because I'm always waiting for someone on the other end of the phone to be like, what are you talking about? Why did you think that was the case? I was like, you yeah. think I enjoy it because I do it. But I'm not prepared to have to jump through all of the hoops that go hand in hand with the name change because it's only straightforward if you're doing an actual change, right? Like, Mm -hmm. otherwise, it's a pain in the arse. Yeah, if you want to do anything beyond the standard, then you need to go to the default things. If you want to um, just, like, have a double barrel or just change it to your partner's name, then that's really straightforward. But then, of course, I I went to go and do mine because I hate the idea of sending the application, it's rejected, comes back, etc. So I did a fast track and I went to the passport office to do that. And then obviously there are costs associated with that. So, yeah, not everybody wants to to do it. Um, but my heart was beating in the queue because I was like, oh, my <laughs> God, what if it goes wrong? Like, yeah. I was just worried about because I, I know people who signed their marriage certificate with their partner's name. Mm-hmm. And then because I didn't do that, I thought there might be some pushback. They were like, no, it was all good. It literally took 10 minutes. It's so good because sometimes you're like, well, why would it be an issue? Surely everybody wants to make everybody else's life easier. Yeah. Surely you don't want it to be this whole complex thing. It is. It is a bit. I don't know. It's not complex. But like you said, it's just another life admin thing to do. And then obviously speaking to some of your friends, like, I would never change my name. That is the feminist in me. And I'm like, okay, cool. The thing is, that name also came from your your father a lot of the time so it's like I mean I am completely understanding of anyone's personal connection to their name it's why I have retained the culture in my name um but it is just so funny that it can be like a oh well I would never take a man's name it's like well you did yeah you took your dad's name so your mom has already gone through this herself she seeded her maiden name and 
on and on and on through history. Yeah, but some people have both of their parents' names, right? Some people already have True. double barrel, and then it's like it's it's a bit more um, like nuanced than people think. I'm just, mm-hmm. I wouldn't say that I'm lazy, but I just want things to be as easy for me as possible. Yeah, and so that's why I'm just like, yeah, let's cross it out. Let's just go all in. Mm-hmm. You know, I've been married for two years now. I think it's time for me to go all in. <laughs> <laughs> Upon the birth of your first child together, you, you're going to have to make a commitment to this man. Now I actually have to commit and like go all in. Because I think psychologically, you do kind of think, oh, I want this a bit, a bit of this for myself. I want that for myself. But, you know, I just think where we are now, it's that ship has sailed. <laughs> well, I'm a grubby little social climber. So I loved the idea of having a double barrel surname. My husband's name is Salisbury. So Cotter Salisbury for me was like, oh, ideal it's love a very it. nice name though it's a very but, very nice name. well I say to Charles all the time like we're the Cotter Salisbury's and he's like no we aren't I'm Salisbury <laughs> he won't he won't commit to my name so I was like well then why would I give up mine to take yours it was like yeah we can all be all or nothing of the house and then everyone else will be a Salisbury basically yeah literally I was like oh or if we will be Cotter Salisbury and he'll just be the lone Salisbury basically I think that that I mean, if we do have kids, if that's a decision that we make and something that is able to happen for us, I have said, like, I'm not having a child. I'm not going through nine months of, you know, growing a, a an extra skeleton and then however many hours of labor to not have my maiden name reflected in that child's surname. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And then, see, because... Charles doesn't, on his dad's side of the family, there isn't a very big family at all. He has one paternal aunt and that's it. So he'll be saying things to me like, but I'm the last Salisbury. <laughs> I'm like, mm, okay, sorry, your application has been rejected. <laughs> oh my gosh. But it's funny because actually one of the, before we jump into our, our topic for today, the the final thing that I would say is at the moment I am, completing the proposal for my dissertation and so the most recent assignment I did was kind of around the the economics of of well-being the economics of happiness and the various kind of intersecting points there and I want my dissertation to really focus on the visible and invisible barriers to career progression for women in particular although I think it extends to parents as a whole because of the kind of implicit expectation that women take on the burden of domestic and emotional labor and childcare, and so studies have shown that even though women are maybe happier now than they were 50 years ago that happiness is declining at a, a fairly steady clip because obviously you had a situation where maybe 50 years ago women couldn't have a credit card without sign off from their husband women weren't allowed to maybe work once they were married I mean it's actually I have to accept they were in 2021 so 1970s probably (laughs) they were however like women's rights have come on in in leaps and bounds since then however now what you've got is the expectation that women continue to do the same amount of domestic emotional labor but they're also expected to work full-time outside of the home and what that juggling act looks like and obviously we've touched on childcare and the cost of childcare when we were when we had our pregnant then screwed episode a couple of weeks ago or months ago now and not talking about those things only serves to make those barriers more difficult to overcome 
And it's like, we need to start having dialogue around those things. You need to be having those conversations, if possible, with your partner as early as possible so that it can be something that you're able to move around as opposed to something that you get stuck behind. Yeah, I think it's so unfortunate if you are like a relatively young person, but then you end up in this really like old school patriarchal dynamic. Mm -hmm. There's the person who's changed her name to her husband's name. But I think there's a lot of balance in in my marriage I would say I'm just not that good with a lot of them <laughs> I just I'm don't like great. yeah I'm just not great with all of that you know like yeah I do my part but I'm not like some super great housewife mm-hmm. I'm like super average <laughs> <laughs> but then like I suppose that's part of it that needs to be addressed as well, that actually a lot of the time when you're talking about yourself as a a super housewife or an average housewife or whatever in between, it's that I am not making my partner adhere to those kind of that, that social construct in my head, that, that contract of like, well, this is what I thought a husband would do. I thought he'd be chopping logs for the fire, whatever. So they become like quite difficult shackles to cast off. I think like I do get stressed about the house being tidy before we have guests coming over in a way that I don't think. I get very stressed by that. And then we're having a whole conversation about that. Like when people are coming over, I really want my place to be, you know, I wouldn't say my place is messy, like a place is tidy enough, but Mm -hmm. like I'm hosting people. I really make a lot of effort. And then it was like, Oh, why do you do that? Literally, because you know what, I've never left anybody's house. And maybe the reason I've never left anybody's house saying this is because we're all having the same like psychological fucking breakdown before people come around. I've never left anybody's house and said to my husband or to my mum on the phone or whatever, I've never been like, God, their house was so dirty. (laughs) I've never said it. I have to assume that no one has said it about my house because no one's come around like looking to run their finger along the windowsills or something like that. Like it's, it's such an absurdity that we've not been able to put that to bed. (laughs) Yeah, no, it's true. But I also just think that I can't, I don't remember the name of that book, but it was all about women and like the data around, you know, how things are tough for women. I think I blocked it because I, I stopped liking the author. So I've just blocked it from my mind. But basically, I think that you could probably get away with things. Things do change when you live together as Mm -hmm. a heterosexual couple. But like maybe you could like manage where the real challenge comes is when kids come along. And I think that can really cause a huge imbalance. And so you have to be quite like intentional about what does this Mm -hmm. look like, especially if you're both working. But even if you end up deciding to stay at home for a period of time, it's super important that your partner is engaged. Mm hmm. You know, that whole thing about, you know, women just doing everything. It's just, the thought of it is just so tiring. Yeah, no, absolutely. And then sometimes it's like you become your, or one becomes their own worst enemy. And again, this isn't specific to women, but there is usually one person in a relationship who does this, that you might delegate a task or you might say, you know, you're sorting X, Y, Z and I'm doing ABC. But because then you don't have the capacity to fully relinquish that task, you're like, you know what, I'm just going to do X, Y, Z as well, because then at least I know it's done. And that isn't a good way to do it. I'm going to do it then. I'm like, no, you're not. I'm still (laughs) going to do it. And you will cope with the standard that it is done to. (laughs) So before we end up too far down that road, um, I think the, 
the other thing that we were going to discuss today is the the Met Gala. Yeah, the Met Festival was like so disappointing this year, just in terms of like, I really felt that it was a struggle in terms of the fashion. I hated the theme. Mm-hmm. I hated the, the theme. theme was good. No, I felt, I don't yeah, know. The I American, like... American designer theme. The the American lexicon, I think, was the actual. Um, so you're right, actually. Let me clarify that. I didn't hate the theme. I thought the theme was super interesting. I hate when people are boring about it. Yeah, like, people never follow the theme. People never follow the theme. And it's just one of those things for me. Listen, we will get into, I'm sure, the absurdity of the, the money. And, you know, I, I keep seeing the tweets. It's like, us criticizing the thousands of pounds that celebrities have spent while we're sitting at home in our pajamas like but <laughs> it is it, the whole thing is for, but that's it's a circus it's exactly it's a circus it's that right it is like a it's a pop culture event right and so they do want the public to engage which is why they invite influencers now it used to yes. be so exclusive now they literally have every tom dick and harry with a million plus followers and this is a question. I don't know if you know the answer to this, but the Met Gala, obviously, we're going to touch on the price of tickets shortly. But what... I have no issue with any of that. No, actually, my question was going to be, yeah. but I assume that that money is for the Met, right? Like it's it's to to invest into exhibitions and the upkeep of the museum and, you know, like the yeah, whole the thing Met is that it is an art gallery, right? So, yeah, but the Met receives a lot of federal funding. The Met has a lot of very wealthy benefactors. Mm-hmm. So the Met is not, it's not a... It's not a struggling... It's not a struggling institution. institution. So yeah. just here, sorry. Uh, the Met Gala, formerly called the Costume Institute Gala, or the Costume Institute Benefit, is an annual fundraising gala for the benefit of the Metropolitan Museum of Arts Costume Institute in New York City. So... That is like one of those things where it's a circus and we're here to absorb the circus and I love yeah. the circus of it. Yeah. But fundamentally, it's something that has been running for years and years and years and it's only quite recently in kind of pop culture terms that it has become the spectacle that we are now used to, right? Like if you look yeah. at pictures from 10 years ago at the Met, super underwhelming. There was very rarely like a theme that people... Appeared down, yeah. yeah. But the thing is the Met is a high society event, Mm -hmm. full stop. And I think that people try to, you can't run away from that. You know, we do live in a very classist, elitist society and the Met is an event for the creme de la creme, Mm -hmm. right? And I think that, who's that lady with that dates Elon Musk or Elon Musk's- uh, Grimes. Yeah, like Elon Musk and Grimes, like their first, date out like in the public announcing their relationship was at the Met like it's a it's a high society event mm-hmm. I have no issue with that I have no issue with how much tickets cost and yeah I was one of those people that was like you know checking out the fashion after I do find that all quite interesting um and I think it's a very worthy cause I think art is a very worthy cause but then you know when you look at art as a industry again incredibly elitist facts is what it is I think the challenge comes for me is when you have people like AOC who want to go to that event. Like if I was invited to the Met, I would be super excited and, you know, I'd want to go. I don't see anything wrong with going. But I think that when you have someone like her going to the Met and then like wearing that dress, like tax the rich, it was like so cringe for me because I'm like, 
you've been invited to the Met, you've gone, you feel like, I look at it like you feel that you can't just go Mm -hmm. and network and have fun. You feel that, oh, because I'm the premier socialist queen or leftist queen, you know, I'm going to turn this into, um, I'm basically going to wear a tweet on a dress. Mm-hmm. And so I just found that to be so insincere and I found it to be so performative, especially with so much going on in the US. And I don't want to like go deep into that rabbit hole of US politics. But I feel like, you know what, you have power. You are in Congress. There are things that you could be doing to push the boat forward for your constituency, which is the most marginalized, the one of the most marginalized in New York City. Mm-hmm. And so I found that to be a bit cringe. I felt like she kind of did not read the room on that. I think that it often becomes, uh, from my own perspective at least, like I think that it often becomes one of those things where it becomes like an almost gleeful takedown. Not saying that that's what you're doing in this instance, but it's like, finally, there's something that we can hook on this woman. And it always makes me then less willing to criticize because I know that, she gets eviscerated over nothing on a regular basis. And so I feel that my own perspective on someone like AOC, in the same way my own perspective on someone like Meghan Markle, it can't be considered to be objective in any way, shape or form because I see these women being taken to task over wearing red lipstick or over, you know, touching their husband's arm. So then when there's something that comes up that it's like, yes, actually, this this now is a legitimate critique. I'm like, oh, I almost can't bear to join the pile on of people that have been destroying you from day one over the most inconsequential of things. Does that make sense? Um, I think it makes sense, but I think it's very harmful. And I think mm. that when Barack Obama went, got into power, got into office, people said, we are not going to criticise him because mm-hmm. he's already being criticised by the right. So as a black community it became like a taboo to hold Obama accountable in any kind of way. And mm-hmm. when Obama left office, you can go and look into it. Like the black community like ended up worse off after Obama had left. Um, Obama dropped more bombs. Obama deported more immigrants. And so when you really look under the hood, it was like a really, it wasn't a progressive pre- presidency at all. Mm-hmm. So that's why I'm really kind of, against um, identity politics and you see the same thing is happening with Elizabeth Holmes so she's the CEO of, of Theranos and I don't know if you followed that she was like the darling tech queen and like um, now she's on trial and people Bad Blood is one of the sorry just for anyone listening who doesn't know about it Bad Blood is one of the most compelling books you will ever read like what she yeah. was able to do is insane she's she's bonkers She's bonkers and she's a fraudster. And, you know, there was an article, I think, within the Washington Post or something like that. And the writer was saying that, oh, but like this is sexist, that she's actually being held accountable because there are so many people in Silicon Valley that make outlandish claims. So many white men in Silicon Valley that make outlandish claims. The fact that she's on trial for this and could possibly go to prison is sexist. And so whenever you do criticise AOC for something, she's like, I'm a woman of colour. I'm breaking barriers by being a woman of colour at the Met. No, you're not. Okay. There have been women of colour that have been going to the Met. Mm -hmm. People didn't donate to you and vote for you to just be in a room and be a woman of colour, right? Mm -hmm. Especially in the US context. And especially when you look at the constituency that she represents, like she represents a community that is really struggling. So they voted for her because they want healthcare. 
and they mm-hmm. want education and they want their children to have a, a better future. And so that's why I feel like when people use that shield and she's come out after being like woman of colour, working <laughs> class, etc. And I just find it so jarring. And even with that Elizabeth Holmes article, I'm like, this line of thinking is just incredibly jarring for me. And then it's incredibly harmful when all we're doing is leaning into the identity side of it. Oh, look at Jewel. She's in this position and she's a woman of colour. So look at the Tories. How many women of colour? The equality secretary. Have you followed what she was saying? The kind of like anti-trans comments that... Um, you know what I say? This was so much satisfaction, but no, I haven't. Oh, you haven't. So I'm not even going to bother to go into it. But like, she's black. Right. She's female. She's from an underrepresented group and she's awful. She's trash. That's so tough. I think it's like, I obviously err on the side of... That's why I say it's harmful. Like Yes, no, 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 100%. But then I do also think it must be just exhausting, like day in, day out, like the people who are waiting for you to give them an inch so that they can just decimate you, basically. So do your job. Do your job, absolutely. But the thing is, like, I think that broadly speaking, most people don't have, like, rationality when it comes to those things because it's, like, when she was doing her job, then she was, as you said, like, the socialist queen. But then the second that... And I think also, sorry, I'm just jumping from one thing to another, but, like, as I'm saying it out loud, I also think that the cult of celebrity must be so heady. And she... Not only was she in a position or is she in a position of power from like a political standpoint, yeah. but she also was, you know, the Internet's favorite. But she uh, loves it. But she loves she it. it. Of course. She's always but... on TikTok. She's always on Instagram. Like she loves it. She's always there using like colloquial language and, mm-hmm. you know, acting like she's down and then acting like she's cool. She loves it. Of course. But I think that most people would or most people do like I don't think that although it's lovely to imagine that all of our political representatives are like on this pedestal where they are unmoved by you know celebrity or attention more generally speaking I just don't think it's the case and I think that you saw it in a more narcissistic sense with Trump because he was desperate to be a celebrity and that kind of the cold shoulder that he got from Hollywood was his emotional undoing almost. But I also think that, yeah, it must have been great to be the internet's darling for the the window of time that it lasted for. Like there are people defending her now, but they're certainly not defending AOC as, as viscerally, as passionately as they had been when the things that she was being criticised for were, you know, illegitimate. Yeah, and I think people... People are, and what they're trying to do is say that, oh my gosh, the right are criticizing her for wearing this dress. And it's like, no, there's criticism on both sides for different reasons. Mm-hmm. And um, I think for me, what I really just want people to think about a bit more is putting all of their eggs in someone's basket or feeling that they cannot criticize someone because they are female or because they are um, from a, an underrepresented group. And what happened with Elizabeth Holmes is that everybody was so hyped that, you know, she could be the next female Steve Jobs. Steve Jobs. And yeah. people were so hyped about that idea. And 
you know, it was all around the time with uh, Hillary and like I'm with her and, you know, all of this stuff that it, it I was listening to the All In podcast. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you listened to that podcast, but they were saying that, you know, if you had a guy cosplaying Steve Jobs, people would be like, get out of here. Like, what is this? This is just a joke. And they let her cosplay Steve Jobs because they and they really bought into it. And a lot of that was because of her identity. Mm-hmm. And she's weaponizing her identity now by trying to act like her partner, her business partner and ex-lover, um, me too'd her, basically, trying to say that, oh, he manipulated her. And I just think it's very toxic. For sure. I think as well, this isn't a solution to the, the problem that you're saying here. But I think that part of the problem also becomes that there is not space necessarily for women to create an identity, I guess, for want of a better word, that is completely novel. You know, so you're saying that Elizabeth Holmes was cosplaying Steve Jobs. And you're right to say that had a man been doing it, he would have been called out for that emulation almost immediately. I think that running tangentially to this is that whole culture that says things like she-e-o and girl boss (laughs) and mom-trepreneur instead of entrepreneur. And those things I'm like, just stop, please just shut up. Don't do that again. I don't want to hear it. Because what happens is then you lose any sense of like proportionality, basically. Like absolutely AOC should be held to account. Absolutely Elizabeth Holmes should be held to account. You are not allowing yourself to say, okay, would I treat a white straight man in the same way when you're thinking about these issues? Because you're already thinking about hashtag girl boss. Do you know what I mean? So it's like you you lose all sense of objectivity. And historically, we've obviously had a very poor sense of objectivity as well when it comes to heterosexual white men and everybody else. But it's a tough one because sometimes I think, oh, Jules, is it internalized misogyny? Like, are you being tougher, you know, on Mm -hmm. AOT? And I would like to think that I'm critical or not in equal measure I would really like to think that about myself and so you know I was all about Obama just like everybody else and then you know after the first term I was just like what the hell is going on here and Obama is like it's a complete taboo to even question anything about Obama so Mm. I did that you know years ago right years and years ago now actually with Obama and so of course, I'm going to be completely, I'm going to find it really cringe that AOC is trying to Obama us. Like, I'm from this group and she has loads of charm. She's great on social media. But I just think that, you know what, do your job. Like, let's get some outcomes, right? That's kind of my only thing. So I do think about it where it's like, I don't want to be overly critical. You know, I try to to do things in equal measure. And then I also think that I'm someone who talks about being black and female a lot. Like, I feel like your gender plays a role in how you're perceived, your gender and your race and like your background, your class has such a strong correlation with your opportunities and your outcomes. Mm -hmm. So I'm not denying that at all. I think that's really, really important. And so when people put on LinkedIn, like, oh, I'm not a female astronaut. I'm just an astronaut. I'm like, well, so I know it's a bit more nuanced than that but I just think that when people always hide behind their identity it's harmful like I've said and it almost delegitimizes what they're talking about if they mm-hmm. don't focus on 
on actually delivering results. If your goal is to just be the female CEO of your company, but like you, there's no mat leave in your company, so the women, yes. have oh my God, 100%. women are not getting promoted. It's like, what is the point? Totally. I think there is also the Icarus complex with this whole thing, right? Where like you only get to be the internet starling for a set period of time. And as soon as that window is over, all the accolades that you were given will be historically revised as well. Like, and is it worth it for that? It must, it must be nice and it must be great for that window of time where everyone is loving you. But if you are trying to move out of your kind of faction of celebrity or maybe just notoriety, you know, AOC, as you said, was on social media. She's on TikTok. She's on Instagram. She's doing Instagram lives while she's mixing cocktails. She's (laughs) blah, 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 blah. Would your time in the sun have lasted longer had you not been actively courting attention in those other avenues equally is actually courting attention in those other avenues key to getting younger people interested in politics like I'm literally just thinking I think think younger people kind of see through it like I think Mm -hmm. like if you can rely on anyone to see through things it's it's younger people mm-hmm. if anyone's trying to justify this it's actually like more like older millennials and like older people but what I think we have with AOC and I don't know if we'll have that in the UK in a similar way is with the older guard like with the boomer politicians their stakeholders and where they get their value is from their donors mm-hmm. so like their big money donors and like her value is in like her social capital and the reach that she has on the internet is like her value. Mm-hmm. And I think that she's playing the game really well. It'll be interesting to see, all right, cool. You know, how long does this performance last? last? Especially yeah. given the fact that it's a pandemic, given the fact that, you know, you've got millions of people in the US who are getting evicted. Like it's not, you know, we're kind of chilling over here in the UK <laughs> compared to what's going on over there. So I think the challenge I have is that if she doesn't really focus on delivering something for her constituents, what you're going to have in the next cycle of elections is that Dems are going to be shooed away. You're going to have like the Republicans again, and then it's going to be even tougher. Whereas if they did actually deliver something, they could probably stay in power for longer, which is what I would prefer. Yeah. So that's like my only thing. And I'm just like, you know what? She's a babe. She looks the parts like she's really... um, for our time, just like the perfect image, like female, uh, working class, woman of colour. But it's like, cool. And? Yeah, I think it's, I'm, I, as you were saying, I'm thinking, you know, I've read articles where AOC is talking about her skincare regimen, like things like that. So I, I get it. But I take your cool. point. I have like no issue with that. Well, no, I kind of, the reason I say it is because I am a bit like that's the culture of the internet now anyway right that it's like listen you don't have to be an expert on a particular thing for us to want your opinion on it but sometimes I do think like okay well maybe we could stop why do I need to know AOC's skincare regimen like it's literally just like an influencer that happens does she wish that she was maybe less involved in politics so that she could have just you know leaned into that it girl she could have been Addison Rae yeah I think she definitely found her lane and it's an interesting one. And the fallout from that dress and her having to go on Instagram every single day. Yeah. 
to tell, to tell people why it wasn't ironic and then people are like oh but you're part of that class now and then she's like no when we talk about rich we're talking about billionaires we're talking about this and like yeah that is what we're talking about we're not talking about a doctor or yeah, oh, for a sure. first generation congress person right this is not what we're talking about but you do have a platform well I think that the problem is and it's in the UK as well is that we never manage to tax the billionaires that's true globally like the billionaires are never it doesn't matter how much you say tax the rich and we all know the rich to whom you are referring but actually it is the doctors it is the sole traders or you know like the self-employed people who do end up suffering taxes are going up in the UK you know you weren't furloughed I wasn't furloughed your husband wasn't furloughed my husband was out of work for most of 2020, did not get any kind of government bailout or government support in that regard because he was self-employed. So he was allowed to slip through the cracks. But now our taxes will go up. I didn't vote for this government. Like I understand and I'm appreciative of everything that was done to help people in a difficult situation during COVID. Equally, I'm sick of the Tories and I'm sick of us pretending that we've got like, there's something like 75 billionaires living in the UK and they're not being taxed accordingly. But it is the middle men, the middle people, the middle class oh, who get squeezed. Yeah. Like, yeah, get squeezed. And that's why this kind of stuff around that tax the rich and stuff impacts me because I do feel it kind of relates to what's going on in our own mm-hmm. society in the UK. And I feel like the fabric of the society is completely worn out. Yeah. And, you know, yeah, as a middle class, it's like you have to get out of the middle class. Like you need to figure out how are you going to get rich? Because you're going to be working class pretty soon. Yeah, absolutely. And it's like the barriers to leaving middle class and entering middle class are like harder and harder and harder to overcome. Harder and harder. Yeah. You know what? Yeah. Thank you so much for listening to everyone who's gone through. <laughs> and I wanted to do a podcast where we lift people's spirits. I know. Well, you know what? If you did follow the Met Gala and all you thought was, I like that outfit, I don't like that outfit, I feel like that's okay as well. You oh, know, yeah, like. Sure you are allowed, we're all allowed to give ourselves the privilege of just engaging with things on a superficial level, which is why I'm watching Grey's Anatomy from the very beginning again. I'm on season six right now. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's it's about the little things. Yeah, I'm not actually watching anything like that interesting. We've been watching um, Lucifer. My husband got really into it. But a show that was really good that we should have actually talked about is Clickbait. Okay, my mum's been talking to me about clickbait. So now I'm maybe going to have to check this out. Clickbait is another level, especially because it's linked to like the internet and it's crazy. And that's a show that I've watched recently that I would highly recommend. Clickbait. On Netflix. On Netflix was crazy. That's okay. actually a really good show. That's that's kind of new. So we're Guys, back to our bi-weekly schedule. Okay. Yeah. I was going to say, <laughs> get in touch. Let us know if you've been watching or reading or listening to anything while we've been away. Um, and if you've got any recommendations, I've had, or we both have had some suggestions come in over things that you would like us to discuss in the next few months. QAnon being one of them. Oh, so, yeah, I don't know anything about QAnon, actually. Oh, okay. Well, I'm going to save it not for this, but for the next episode. But uh, my cousin told me the wildest story about someone that she met who was a full-on QAnon convert. Oh, wow. Was was so earnestly telling my cousin all of this stuff that my cousin started to think, oh, my God, like, is this true? And so that's how easily it kind of sneaks in. But... 
thank you guys for listening thank you for bearing with us and share the podcast with a friend bye bye